Christine, check. Hey, have you guys ever been thirsty? And not like, not like I just, I need a drink. Like I'll get, I'll go get a drink in a little bit at the commercial, like super thirsty. Anybody? Like your mouth is dry. It's like watering. You kind of get like, you feel like you've got bumps in your mouth because you're like, I am so thirsty. And like you get to the point where you're like, I could, I could really just drink anything at this moment. Like I'm so thirsty. I would like even consider drinking Clamato juice, right? Does anyone like Clamato juice in here? We got a couple. Yeah, it's like clam juice and tomato juice mixed together. It's super, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't drink it. That's why I threw that out there. But like you're so thirsty. All you want is just a drink of water or a drink of, of anything. It could be soda, which dehydrates you. It could be coffee, which dehydrates you. It could be anything. You just want something to drink, right? This past week, we did our family devotions. And I don't know if you noticed on there, one of the things was to drink only water for the week. And if you don't know anything about me, I have become a caffeine addict. And not just caffeine addict, I have become a coffee addict. Any, any, anybody coffee addicts out there? Yeah, we got a couple, a few. And it doesn't even, like, it doesn't even have to be like good coffee. It can be like, like I could just have a cup of coffee. Any type of brown water with caffeine in it is, it, it will suffice. Because really for me, it, it started out as an idea. Now it's become an addiction, but I am, I am addicted. And so when I started this challenge last week and decided to go all in, I was like, man, I'm going to nail this, right? Last Sunday, none of you would have guessed that I hadn't had my cup of coffee. And I was like, this is going to be so easy. Like I'm going to make it through this week and I'm going to have no problems. And then Monday came. <laughs> Monday was probably like, if I had to rate worst days of my life, Monday might have made the list. Because Monday, it was Labor Day, the office was closed, so I was at home and I was sitting on my couch. And the morning, I was like, I'm going to eat an apple. I'm going to be fine. I'm not going to have like this caffeine need or anything. And so I sat on my couch and it got to about 8.15 and my head started to hurt. And I was like, man, maybe it's because I didn't have coffee yesterday. Like, it's just catching up to me a little bit. And so I started doing some research, you know, as all, you know, young people should do. We get on our phones and Google and research. How long does it take to get over a caffeine addiction? You know, and so it said the first 24 hours is the worst. Um, and so I was in the first 24 hours and nine o'clock rolled around and my head felt like it was going to explode. I was like, I, I am, I'm like, I don't know if I can make it through this challenge. I think I'm just going to give up. I won't tell anybody, but I'm the pastor. So then I'd be lying. And so I was like, you know what? I will, I'll take an ibuprofen or two. Now, I don't know if you know this, but when you take something like that, they recommend what? To have some food with it, right? You don't want to take ibuprofen on an empty stomach because really that's just bad news. And I had eaten like half an apple because that sounded like it would be enough. And about noon, I was laying in my bed, like feeling like I had cold sweats, like I was going to throw up, my head hurt. 
And I was like, this challenge is stupid. Whoever came up with this, like, this is the dumbest thing ever. I'm going to quit. And I decided not to, right? I made it through the day, but I was desperate for something other than water. I was desperate for caffeine. I thought it was coffee, but I was desperate for caffeine. Any type of caffeine would have probably made my day not so miserable. Um, And today we're going to talk about somebody who was desperate. Um, We're going to look at Psalm 63. Um, And so if you want to turn there with me, um, we're going to look at it. I know that if you were at the prayer service last week, we looked at this psalm um, very briefly, and we talked a little bit about it. Um, But I think that there's more meaning that we can draw from it than what we got on Sunday. So if you weren't here Sunday, um, you should come to prayer services so that you can find out what we talk about and pray with us. Um, But if not, you can make it to the next one. But we're going to look at Psalm 63. So if you will, you can turn there with me. This is David writing, and he says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. I love opening up the Psalms. I, I shared this, pa- this past Sunday at the prayer service, but I love, this is a side note, by the way. I love opening up the Psalms because there is a theme that you can find throughout it, and I, and I encourage you to go look, but I love when you can just see somebody's heart ripped out and put on a piece of paper. You can see David in whatever place he's at, and he rips his heart out, and he puts it on the paper, and he pours it all out there for God, and he's, he's brutally honest. And then every time that he does that, you can find out what truths about God he can hold on to. If you go and look, you can go look through Psalms that David wrote, and you'll be able to figure out, without looking at your study Bibles, where he is at. You can see what he's feeling. You can see how he's reacting to situations. And here, you know, we, we see that he is seeking after God. He's looking for help. You can just, you can feel where David is at. And then every time that he does that, you can see that there is like a hope of God. There is something that he has heard or met with God where he clings to that. No matter what situation he's facing, if he's on the mountaintop or down in the valley, he looks to God and there's a truth that you can see there. So I encourage you when you read through Psalms, before you go and look at what the commentators or the study Bibles tell you, I would encourage you to look at them with the eye of where is David at and what truth is he holding on to in this moment. That's a side note, but I love that about the Psalms. Um, Ray, my wife, you know, she doesn't know I'm going to say this, which is always a good pastor move, right? Um, 
If you don't know that, if you ever give a sermon, if you call your wife out and don't tell her, it's worth more than, it's better than just like telling her you're going to use her in your illustration. Ask for forgiveness, not permission. <laughs> Matt taught me that one. Um, but we have like conversations throughout the day. We talk, which is good for married couples. Um, and she likes to throw out words that I've never heard. She's a big reader, um, not as much as she used to, but when she reads, she always decides that she has this enormous vocabulary. And my vocabulary is good enough, um, but she'll throw out words that I don't think people have even used from like the 1800s. And I'll have to go and look them up, but I love when she does it because I'm one of those people that I can't just let it slide and pretend like I know what the word is. Like, she'll say a word, and I'll be like, do I just, do I just like, let it go and pretend like I'm smart enough to know what she's talking about, or do I call her out to see if she's using it correctly? Um, and so a majority of the time, I call her out and be like, are you sure you're using that word correctly? Like, I know that it, how it's supposed to be used. Um, and when this happens, when I catch her using a word out of context or not in the right way, it is like a, a major win for me. She hates it. She gets mad at me. It doesn't happen very often, but um, I love it. And so today we're looking at the word desperate. I know we're in Psalm 63, but we're looking at the term desperate because there are two definitions of the word desperate that I really want us to focus on today. Are we cool with that? You better be because I'm up here. Um, so uh, the questions that I want you to remember if you don't remember anything else, that's a really good point. Like if you are in a class and a teacher says, if you don't remember anything else, like or, this is on the test, right? Um, the two things that you need to remember are, are you helping desperate people find God? And are you desperate for God? Are you helping desperate people find God? And are you desperate for God? So if nothing else, those are the two questions that I want you to remember today um, as we look into these two different definitions. Definition one, um, if you Google the word desperate, you have to spell it correctly, I found out, for it to get the right definition. But the first definition that pops up is feeling, showing, or involving a hopeless sense that a situation is so bad it is impossible to deal with. Now this is a definition of desperate that most people, when you say they're in a desperate situation, right, or they are desperate, this is what we think of. We think of an impossible situation with an impossible outcome. And so people use phrases like desperate times call for desperate measures, right? They're in a situation that there doesn't seem to be any way out. And if there is a way out, it's going to take something miraculous to make it happen, right? Um, in Psalm 63, this isn't the type of desperate that we see David, like this is not the type of desperate that David is. But I think that the Bible is packed full of this definition of desperate. If you will, just for a moment, um, turn to John chapter 4. We're not going to read it, um, but does anyone know what story is, is the beginning of John chapter 4? It's the woman at the well. Right? And if you read this story, you can skim it as I tell you about it. Um, but this is a Samaritan woman. Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at the well. And he goes and he has this conversation with her, uh, asking her to give him a drink of water. 
Um, and as the conversation progresses, we find out that she has not been married once or twice or three times. She's been married multiple times, and that the man that she's living with right now is not her husband. On top of that, Jesus is a, a Jew, and she is a Samaritan, and those two cultures don't go together well. And so she feels, um, in a dis- she feels like as she's in a desperate situation, because back in that culture, really, to be married more than once was seen as a negative thing. And she had been married four times, and she's not married now, living with a guy, She's in a desperate situation for her time, and she's holding on to the hope. She says at the end of the story, when the Messiah comes, he'll explain everything. She had this conversation with Jesus, but at the end, she, sh- she says, when the Messiah comes, everything will be explained. So in the middle of her desperate situation, she's holding on to hope that when the Messiah comes, which we find out, Jesus says that it was him the whole time, she's holding on to the hope that she'll be able to get out of the situation she's in. And then if you look a little further, um, in verses 43 through 54, we meet a royal official who comes to Jesus. Um, His his son is sick, and he's not sure that he's going to live. And he comes to Jesus asking, like, can you you help me? Can you help me with, my my son is going to die, and I I don't know what to do. And and so Jesus tells him that, that his son will live, right? The guy comes to him in a desperate situation, looking for some type of way out. It's hopeless. There's, there seems to be no good end in sight. Uh, but Jesus turns that around. And then in chapter 5, we run into uh, a paralyzed man. There was a pool that people would go to because they thought it had these magical healing powers. They would go and get in the pool, and, and they would miraculously be healed. And this paralyzed man was sitting outside where the pool was, and um, Jesus a- arrives at the scene, and the, he asks the man, like, what, like, what's going on? And he tells him that he's been paralyzed for 38 years, and he has no one to help him get into this pool so that he can be healed. And Jesus asks him, he says, I mean, do you want to be healed? Like, do you want to be well? The man is desperate to walk. The man is desperate to be a part of society. And Jesus comes along and heals him. He helps him out of this desperate situation. And all throughout Scripture, we can see people who are desperate. They're in the middle of their hopeless situation where there seems to be no end in sight. Um, and they're in need of a Savior, whether it be through healing or whether it be through some other sign. And that's no different than today. There are people all around us who are in desperate situations. They have family members who are sick. They're mourning the loss of loved ones. They've walked down dark paths towards drugs or alcohol or other things. And people are desperate for a Savior. Who will show them? Who will be the people to tell them about the Savior that they've met? The second definition 
um, is the definition it says in parentheses of a person, and I'm not smart enough to know why it says that yet. Um, but it says to have the definition is having great need or desire for something. To be desperate of having a great need or desire for something. And this is the type of desperation that we see in Psalm 63. David says, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. David is desperate for more of God. But his desire for for more of God doesn't come from a a place where he is so hopeless that he doesn't know if there's any end in sight. His desperation for God comes from a place where he has met with God, he has seen what God has done, and he is desperate for more of it. Um, Eugene Peterson in the message, his paraphrase, the message says, I can't get enough of you. I've worked up such hunger and thirst for God. And later in the psalm, we see why David wants more of God, why he's thirsting for him. He says, your love is better than life. He knows that God is his help. He knows that God is the one that will satisfy his needs. He knows that God will protect him. He's seen God at work in his own life, and he is desperate for more. It comes out of a relationship with God It's not a, I hope that some Savior will come. David is desperate to meet with God more because he has seen how good God is. And the question for us is, do we have this type of desperation for God? John Bloom is an author um, in a, a thing called Desiring God. He states that in America, it costs the least to be a Christian. We have almost everything that we could ever want, everything that we could ever need at our fingertips. We can get whatever we want, whenever we want, as long as we have the resources to do it. And it makes us comfortable. We become so comfortable that it costs us nothing really at all to be a Christian. You can show up here on Sunday mornings and call yourself a Christian and it hasn't costed you anything but an hour or two. It only happens when we have a loved one who's sick or we know someone who's going through something that doesn't seem to be any way out or we lose our job or we're short on money or or our house gets taken away by a hurricane. Only when some tragedy happens, all of a sudden we flip a switch and we become desperate for God. We can go on our day-to-day life with no desire or no thought of God, and then all of a sudden when something bad happens, we flip a switch and we become desperate in that moment. But have you met with God? Don't we know him? I assume that most of us in here have had a relationship with God at some point in our lives, which means that you would know of God's love. You would know of God's forgiveness. You would know of what God can do. But are you truly desperate for more? Um, John says, if we don't feel desperate for God, we don't tend to cry out for him. You either have met and know God or you believe in a magic genie who will show up when you want him to 
and do what you want him to do. And I think as Christians, we should be desperate for both types of desperation. Um, We should be desperate to see people in desperate situations come to know a Savior. We should desire that. We should want to see people come to know Jesus. And we should be desperate for more of God. If you have met and you know who God is, you should be desperate for him. You should want to meet with him more and more and more. And you should never really get complacent. If you're comfortable, are you really relying on God at all? Um, In the beginning of Habakkuk's prayer in chapter 3, Um, You can read the whole thing, and there's a lot more to it. But he starts off with this phrase. It says, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. He's heard of God's fame. He stands in awe of what God has done, and he wants to see it repeated. And I think that should be our prayer. If we've met with God, if we truly know who God is, I think that we need to be desperate for more of that. It's just like we talked about a few weeks ago about spiritual highs. If we're just relying on that, like, do we have a relationship with God like we think we do? We should want more. And so the questions, again, for you today, are you desperate for more of God? And are you desperate to see people who don't know him come to know him? Um, As we close, I'm going to ask the band to come up. Um, And there's a prayer um, that A.W. Tozer wrote in um, a thing called The Pursuit of God. And I think it fits really well um, with our psalm today. And so as as I pray and the band comes up, I, I just want you to pray it with me. It says, O God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire. O God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray, that so I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, any love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.